Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, hey, if you would turn, actually, firstly, to Hebrews 11. We're going to be there in a minute, not yet, but it's good to have your finger on it. We'll be looking at that in just a few minutes. As you already know, our series right now is uh, parentheses, if you will, in our study through 1 John. We're taking four weeks out of 1 John um, in a series called A Vision for Tomorrow in light of our capital or financial stewardship campaign, in light of us working uh, to build a family life center. Really, the question that we've been asking last week and we'll be asking this week and for the next two weeks it's very simple. When we give financially, what are we doing? Because the last thing I want us as a church or individually to be doing is just to be giving dollar bills because someone told me sometime to give dollar bills. Right? So when we give, what are we doing? And the goal, my goal at least, is that in these four weeks, each of us would prayerfully consider as we prayerfully consider, rather, what our households can contribute to the Family Life Center, if God has made it possible for us to do so, that we would see our giving to be so much more than just handing dollar bills. That it would be something so much deeper, something so much more spiritual and profound. So last week, we talked about our giving. If we look, if we scour throughout the Old, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that giving is to be a joyful sacrifice, right? Not out of compulsion or manipulation or guilt or obligation or shame. None of that. It's supposed to be, in fact, done joyfully according to your own means, right? As worship to God, a sacrifice. And so that was last week. Giving is meant to be a joyful sacrifice. Now this week, I want to talk about how our giving is to be an act of faith. An act of faith, much like that of George Mueller's. Now, faith and acting in faith is often very misunderstood. I'd say even especially in church culture. Biblical faith is not blind hopefulness. We'll see what happens kind of mentality. That is not faith. I don't know if any of you are like me, but Sarah says I have an addiction for YouTube, and I just go down the YouTube journey, and I just start clicking on top 10 trick shots of 2021, I don't know, and just the most random things, and she's like, Isaac, come on. And so um, for my own well-being, I... Um, put a time limit restriction on YouTube on my phone to where I'm just laying there and just, just looking at YouTube. And, and I ended up looking a few days ago at, um, you know how during NBA games, oftentimes there's during halftime some kind of game or something that somebody can win a prize. And oftentimes it does include somebody having one minute to shoot as many half-court shots as possible if they can make one, then they win $50,000 or something like that, right? 
And I was watching a compilation of them, a number of people actually winning, and then the person that's putting on the game being completely shocked and not ready for that to take place. I don't know why I was watching that, you ask. Uh, I have no idea how I got to that, watching that video. But it got me thinking. Our faith, your and I's faith, as Christians, which we demonstrate, is not like that person walking up to half court, putting on a blindfold, being spun around in 20 circles, wobbling all around with a blindfold on, taking a basketball, shooting it from half court, crossing our fingers that maybe we'll just make, make it. Like, that's not biblical. I've got, fa- I've got to take a leap of faith. No, that is very dumb. You probably won't make it. That's not, that's not biblical faith, right? And I think actually if you live out this, this kind of false faith, it leads to living out what is technically known as Pascal's wager. Maybe you've never heard of that term, but you've probably heard of what it is. It's for a Christian to say, hey, if I'm wrong, no loss for me. But if you're wrong, you lose a lot. Might as well believe. No, we have so much better reasons to believe than might as well. That's blind, whimsical faith. It's not biblical faith. Biblical faith, I think, is a reasonable confidence in something just not yet proven or seen or actualized before you. But it's a reasonable confidence in it. Let me give you an analogy, maybe, a visual aid to help kind of picture biblical faith. Everybody know the Mona Lisa? Yes? Okay, you know the Mona Lisa painting. Now, imagine you had that, but as a puzzle. And you're putting it together, and you come up to where you're about 75% done. I think I've got that. Yes. Okay, you're putting a Mona Lisa together, puzzle. I think you can have faith that you're going to have a complete Mona Lisa, and that you are, in fact, building, in puzzle form, a Mona Lisa. Now, you can't see it. It's not actualized, but you have a reasonable confidence in what you're doing. You just can't see it proven or in its full form yet. But you have a very good confidence to say, that's the Mona Lisa. I think that's actually a better representation when you look throughout Scripture of biblical faith. We can go to the the most common passage when we're trying to define what faith is, this abstract concept, and we can go to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And you say, ah, see, you're not seen, blind faith. I would say, actually, that is not talking about blind faith. If you continue on through the chapter of Hebrews 11, it's the hall of fame or the hall of faith, right, chapter, notice a few examples that live out this definition of faith. When we look at that of Noah in verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. You see, Noah, he didn't see a flood coming. He didn't see it off on the horizon and say, oh, I better start building. No, he 
Hadn't seen the flood yet. Was it blind faith? Whimsical? No, he heard the voice of God. And so, by faith, being warned by God. I would say that he had a lot of the puzzle pieces put together when God came down and spoke audibly to him. I'd say a few puzzle pieces were put in place. A flood's going to happen. It wasn't absolutely whimsical. Who knows if it's going to happen? He had a reasonable confidence. And then if you just go to the next verse, verse 8, we can see the same thing with the person of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. So did, did Abraham just wander whimsically, not knowing why he was doing this or where he was going? He just had no clue what was going on. No, he, he was walking by faith because he heard the Word of God lead him. It wasn't whimsical. He had a reasonable confidence because God Almighty directed him. So, let's get away from this blind faith, spinning around in a circle and hoping that we make a half-court shot kind of leap of faith theology, and let's get to a, a new definition, I think, of what an act of faith is. I think an act of faith, biblically speaking, is living according to a reasonable confidence in something not yet proven. Or not yet actualized, not yet seen, like the flood for Noah. Or where the inheritance for Abraham would be. But they were led by a reasonable confidence. That's what Hebrews 11 seems to indicate when it comes to the definition of faith. And you and I then, we act in faith all the time. Think about it, Christian. When you are claiming to be heaven-bound, it's an act of faith. To be saying that you're going to be in the perfect presence of God Almighty and not be struck down. I'm heaven bound. That's an act of faith because you and I both know none of us are free from sin. We are not yet walking purely before God. I'm certainly not. And yet I can say with reasonable confidence, I'm able to stand in the perfect presence of God. Why? Because I have a confidence that the person, Jesus Christ, died on a cross and accomplished the purification of Isaac's sins. Though they are great, his mercy was better and more. And so all those who, like me, might trust in that saving and accomplished work of Jesus Christ can say, by faith, I'm going to heaven. And I'll be in his presence. Though I can't see it actualized in my purity yet, it's by faith that I claim it. We, we, we by faith evangelize, don't we? We have no idea how that person's going to respond to us. They might scream at us, cuss at us, who knows? But by faith, we evangelize. Why? Not because we have already seen in the future how they're going to respond, but, but because we know God says he uses broken vessels and through those broken vessels, can open the eyes of men, can change the hearts of people to love Him. So we don't evangelize because we know, and we've already seen the future that they're going to respond with accepting Jesus, but we do it by faith that God can and does do. Exactly that through your and I's efforts. 
So that's why we evangelize. It's by faith. And, and I think this, the same is true when it comes to giving financially to the church. Specifically, I would even get more practical and say to a building project, such as our vision for tomorrow for our Family Life Center. We don't know when we give to the church or when we give to this project, we don't know who it's going to impact. I don't know how it's going to impact them. I don't know even when it's going to impact them or to what degree it's going to impact them. I don't know any of that stuff, but what I do have a confidence in is that God multiplies the efforts of His people to expand His kingdom in incredible ways. And so I give by faith. So that's biblical faith, lived out by God's people. And oftentimes, right, doubts can creep into your heart, my heart, and say, to say yeah, I'm, but I'm just a drop in the bucket. That's what I'd say, by faith, believe in the power of the drop in the bucket when God works through it. So by faith we do. By faith we do. So when you and I give as an act of faith, I want you to have faith in two things. And I'm going to go through them very quickly. Have faith when you give. When I give, may we have faith in two things. Firstly, faith in the mission of God. That He's going to do something great with it. Firstly, faith in the mission of God. And secondly, we'll get to it in a little bit, faith in the provision of God. That He's going to take care of me when I do. Firstly, have faith in the mission of God. I don't know if you know the story of Nehemiah and the background behind that text. The whole book. Nehemiah writes to the people of Israel in the Old Testament when they had sinned and God had handed them over to captivity where they would be slaves, literal, literal slaves in Babylon because of their waywardness away from him. And so they go to Babylon and they're slaves and, and then Babylon's conquered by Persia, but they're slaves in a foreign land. But Nehemiah, he knew that the people of God would return one day to live in the promised land. Though their homeland, that is the promised land, the, the land promised by God, it was currently decimated, laying in ruins. Nehemiah knew that God would return His people one day to that promised land if they repented and turned from their wicked ways and lived for Him in obedience. He knew that they would have their land restored. We can look at that in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. It says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, this is Nehemiah writing, saying, this is God, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And He did. Verse 9, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and I will bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He's talking about returning them to the promised land. And so Nehemiah knew that was the word of God through Moses well before Nehemiah lived. And so Nehemiah acted in faith. He, he sought out that exactly happening. And so 
Nehemiah went to the king. And I just want to say, this isn't a fable, by the way. This isn't like a, like a storybook, right? Nehemiah is as real as Abraham Lincoln. And if you believe in con- some controversy or conspiracy that he's not real, then pick somebody else. He's real, right? So is Abe. But he goes to the king, and he says, I'd like to lead the charge of rebuilding the walls in Israel. He goes to the king, and he, and he asked for that. And it's incredible that actually his request, seeming far-fetched, was actually granted to him. Chapter 2, verse 8, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Since God's hand was evident and evidently involved, Nehemiah could act in faith despite any opposition that he might face, and he will face some things, he could know, acting in faith, that God is in this. And so he did. He went back. He led the charge, and he did face opposition. And yet he remained resilient. We can look at this in chapter 4. Let me read verses 1 and 2. It says now, they're already back now, and they're starting to rebuild. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, now when Sinballat, that is, uh, he was the, the governor of Samaria, okay, a subset of Israel. Now when Sinballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, or he mocked them. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? He faced opposition, and yet he remained resilient, acting in faith. We can see that if we just drop our eyes down to verse 8 and 9 in the same chapter. It says, and they all plotted. That's talking about Sanballat and the rest of Samaria. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion to it. Just think, these were also a part of the larger people of God. They're inside people. Naysaying and opposing. And yet, verse 9, we read, And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. He acted in faith because he knew God had led him there. Now, let me apply this passage because you and I, this, this takes you and I being really good Bible students, right? Because you and I could apply this text really, really poorly. Or we could apply it well, and, and let's, let's do that, right? When we apply this text, we never should read the story as if you're the focus or that I'm the focus. I, I had a, somebody, a friend growing up, who they bought a Bible custom made where anytime it said the word you, like literally Y-O-U, it, re, it typed in their name, their personal name, just to where the Bible could be that much more personal. That is terrible exegesis. It's terrible Bible reading. And so let's not do that. And if you have that Bible, I'm sorry. Go buy a new Bible. (laughs) I love you. You and I are not David slaying our giants. Okay, that's not the right way to read that story. And this particular story, we are not Nehemiah. And our family life center is not Jerusalem. Okay, so, so hear that. 
How we should apply the story of Nehemiah actually, though, is to, to take a principle and apply it to our lives. Here's this principle. Nehemiah perceived God's leading. And he had faith to work towards it, despite all odds. Now that is good Bible reading. You can read that and say, man, Nehemiah had faith. He perceived the lead of God, and he walked in faith according to it. I want to live the same way. Amen? That's a good way to read that story. Now, we still need to acknowledge a difference, a big difference. Nehemiah could say, thus saith the Lord, this is the will of God that we rebuild Jerusalem. He could, because God did say that. You and I, God never said, thus saith the Lord, build me a family life center, right? So there's a big difference there. For us, we have to, as a congregation, discern God's leading through the people, praying, discerning, coming together, making a decision collectively. We discern God's leading for our church. And then we act in faith to the best of our abilities of what God is leading us to do. This is true with Vacation Bible School, right? We, it requires so much time and energy. Did God say, thus saith the Lord, do Vacation Bible School? Well, no. But we're willing to invest all the energy and time because to the best of our abilities, that is an effective way to reach children in our area. Lottie Moon offering. He never said, thus saith the Lord. Com commit yourselves to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. <laughs> we don't know if the missionaries that we're giving to will use it well, the money that we're giving them. But we act in faith because it seems to be an effective way to reach the nations. And it's true for the Family Life Center. We act in faith as we discern the lead of God. May we apply this principle from Nehemiah. Perceive God's leading and then have faith as you live it out despite any odds that might come against us. Not talking blind hopefulness. I'm talking about a confidence in the mission of God perceived by the people of God. Now, if you're struggling with, and I assume some are, I struggle with faith. If you're struggling with faith, and the mission of God. Let me give you one encouragement. It's an encouragement that I need. You and I need to make room in our theology for both the plan of God and difficulties when they come up. Nehemiah had his opposition. He had his quote-unquote reasons to doubt. Gideon's 300 men fighting against 132,000 Midianites in Judges chapter 7. They had to make room in their theology both for the plan of God as they discerned it and great difficulty that seems to be against the plan of God. Oftentimes God's plan does go hand in hand with impossibilities so that he would get more glory. So just generally speaking here, if you are hesitant to act on something, just in general, don't let your hesitation be just because the task at hand is too big. 
Taking on things for God often does require acting in faith in the lead of God. Secondly, we need to have not only faith in the mission of God, that He'll do great things, but faith in the provision of God, that He will take care of us while we sacrificially give. Let me give you a a truth that's found all throughout Scripture. It's that your theology, or my theology, is to form our habits. Your theology forms your habits, but also your habits reinforces your theology. Your habits reinforce your theology, what you believe about God. I'll give you a few examples here to wrap our minds around that. Regularly attending church reinforces your theology that you need the body of Christ, and you can't just do this thing called faith alone, right? So your theology of I need the church leads to the habit of regularly attending, but also regularly attending reinforces I actually believe I need them. So it is also true with regularly evangelizing, right? Regularly evangelizing, telling people about Jesus every chance I get reinforces my theology that I don't just need the gospel. It doesn't just need to be private for Isaac, but that they need it too. And if you believe that theology, it'll lead to, the, lead to the habit of evangelizing. And evangelizing reinforces you actually believe that theology. God institutes habits all throughout Old Testament Israel to reinforce their theology of dependency. That is, that they must trust in His provisions. Just think about this. Let me give you three examples of how he institutes habits to reinforce the theology of depending on God. First, the habit of Sabbath. The Israelites were meant to work six days and rest on the seventh. Every week, you had to rest. Even if harvest was right prime time, you had to rest. Why? Because he wanted that habit to reinforce in their brains that God will provide more for them in that one day than they ever could. That God will multiply your efforts worked in the six days to be more than if you worked all seven. It's a habit, Sabbath, that reinforced dependency. The second habit is tithing. Tithing in Old Testament Israel was not just 10%. Did you know that? It wasn't just give 10%. It was more than that. It was to give your first 10%. To give your first 10%. The first 10% of the crops. The first 10% of the fruits. And he would institute this habit. Think about this. So that they would give the first 10% and depend on God that more would come later. It's a habit that reinforces dependency. Lastly, the habit of eating manna for 40 years. Get sick of that. Say, never let me see a piece of manna the rest of my life. They were wandering in the desert for 40 years, and he would send them just enough each day. We see that in Exodus chapter 16. 
Verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather one day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. You see, he would institute this habit of collecting just enough for one day. Why? To reinforce dependency on him. So can I just ask you a question? We're about to wrap up here, but I need you to think about this question, and I've been thinking about this question. What habits in your life reinforce your theology of dependency on God? That God will provide for you. That God will take care of you. Christian, do you rest each week when you're stressed about money? Do you have a habit of trusting Him more than you trust yourself? Christian, do you, do you talk about your faith even though you don't have all the answers? Do you trust Him that He will lead you and He will guide your words And I've been asking myself, am I financially giving what is comfortable or am I giving to the point that it requires faith that God will provide for my family? Questions that we must ask. If you're struggling with having faith in God's provisions, let me give you three quick encouragements. Firstly, you have to know what the Bible is. The Bible's not just a general guidelines for living a decent life, right? It's not just like, this is one-way approach, take it as you will. No, this is the perfect, flawless Word of God. You have to know what the Bible is because, secondly, you have to know what the Bible says. And if it isn't the perfect, flawless Word of God, well, then just throw it to the wayside about what it says, but if it's the flawless, perfect Word of God, then really take heed what it says. And this is what it says, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and His glory in Christ Jesus. We know as a church that this is most beautifully seen in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for sinners like you and I. He supplied our greatest need that is pardon for our sins, union with our Creator, and He accomplished that. He supplied that. But it's also true for all the rest that makes up our lives. He will supply not just your greatest need. He will. But He will supply your every need. That's why we read in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help, it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. So know what the Bible is, and then therefore know what it says about God's provision. And then lastly, work to live like it's true. Work to live like it's true. I don't think there's any better example. This is the last text I'm going to look at. There's no better example than the widow who had two mites. 
Luke 21, verses 1 through 4 says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow. She put in two small copper coins, two mites. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Do you believe what the Bible is and what the Bible says about God's provision for you? Then may we live like it's true, like the widow with the might. May we have the same kind of faith that not only in the mission of God, but faith in the provision of God. So, my desire for our church is that we would act in faith, guys that we would evangelize in faith, that we would rest each week in faith, that we would give in faith. Not a faith which is blind or whimsical, throw our hands up in the air, who knows, we'll see what happens. No, 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 no. A faith which demonstrates confidence in a God who will work for us that we only partially see right now. My greatest desire for you for each here, as you have faith in a Savior. More than having faith that He'll put food on your table. If you don't know Jesus, please hear me. More than having faith that He will put food on your table, I hope and pray that you have faith today that you have a Savior who won for you eternal life. If you don't have that confidence, in salvation today, please come talk to me. Come talk to somebody up at the front. Pray with them. Talk to somebody in a pew next to you. Please have that kind of confidence today. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 